from Spam 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 Humbug. I'm Kenneth Cooley, better known as WTF Dragon, and this is a complete reading of Andrea Cantato's Through the Moongate. Chapter 13, 1983. Atari was stuck with enormous inventories of worthless game cartridges. With no hope of selling them, Atari dumped millions of cartridges in a landfill in the New Mexico desert. When reports came out that people had discovered the landfill, Atari sent steamrollers to crush the cartridges, then poured cement over the rubble. By the end of 1983, Atari had racked up 536 million in losses. Warner Communications sold the company the following year. Cantel Steven. The Ultimate History of Video Games. Having left Sierra Online, and with his third consecutive success under his belt, Richard could easily have found a publisher. His fame, and the strength of the Ultima brand, would have allowed him to dictate his conditions, or even find a company willing to give him carte blanche. Garriott decided that he would no longer put himself in the hands of those who, according to him, were incompetent actors in an industry they did not understand. People like Al Remmers or Ken Williams, with their corporate and entrepreneurial logic, would no longer have his trust. Richard, however, was willing to entrust his brother Robert with his savings and career. The beginning of 1983 seemed the right time to create a video game company, as the market was still growing every year. There had been slowdowns. After the initial boom caused by Pong, the market had declined in 1977, saturated as it was with clones of that famous arcade game. This changed almost immediately with the release of Space Invaders the following year, and hysteria for video games reached unprecedented levels. According to a well-known urban legend, in Japan, 100 yen coins became rare because they were commonly used in the coin ops, coin-operated machines. Even if it was just a rumor, it was a good indication of the spreading arcade fever. Many famous arcade games continued to feed into this craze. Asteroids and Galaxian in 1979, Missile Command and Pac-Man in 1980, Donkey Kong in 1981, and Miss Pac-Man in 1982. The video game trend continued in North American, Japanese, and European homes in the form of the second generation of consoles, which used cartridges and were therefore capable of running various games, unlike the first generation. On the wave of Atari's success, many American and Japanese companies tried to get their share of the video game market as well. Coleco, for example, started its business in the 1930s with leather goods, Coleco being short for Connecticut Leather Company, it then moved on to pinball machines. They entered the video game industry in 1976 with their Pong clone, the Coleco Telestar, and followed it with the ColecoVision in 1982, which used cartridges. On the other side of the Pacific Ocean, the first activity of Namco, Nakamura Manufacturing Company, had been a coin-operated merry-go-round for children, while Nintendo was producing playing cards and tried other activities such as taxis with little success, before landing in the world of toys and finally gaining traction in the gaming market with an arcade smash hit, Donkey Kong, and also portable consoles, the game and watch. Until 1982, the video game market seemed like a new, unexplored, and wild enterprise, offering rewards to anyone who entered it. Atari was literally born out of nothing, and didn't need much capital to become a global giant, while many other companies found success simply by copying the competition. The hysteria surrounding video games turned into a euphoria, with many sharing the belief that the market was able to absorb any product, regardless of quality. Profit was only limited by how many games or consoles a company would be able to produce and market. 
Atari's founder, Nolan Bushnell, had led his company in a disorderly way, making amateur mistakes when, for example, he had transformed a great success like Grand Track 10, released in 1974, one of the first racing arcade games, into a financial disaster because of a trivial accounting error. He sold the arcade cabinets for $100 less than the cost of production. But Bushnell, who had literally created the video game market from scratch, also demonstrated extraordinary levels of intuition and creativity, along with an understanding of what the public wanted. After selling Atari to entertainment giant Warner, Bushnell was replaced by Ray Kassar, an established and capable manager who turned Bushnell's company into a finely honed machine. What Kassar lacked, however, was Bushnell's intuition and ability to understand the gaming market. Having made his career in a textile company, Kassar considered games as a product like any other, and programmers as workers. What Kassar lacked, and this critically, was an understanding of the role that creativity played in designing successful games. Atari, like many other American companies such as Mattel, Coleco, and Milton Bradley, got carried away by unfounded optimism. Kassar's skills and experience were not very helpful when at the end of 1982, the bubble was ready to burst, and the resulting crash in 1983 would take many victims, annihilating many of the main competitors within North America's video game industry. During the months that Richard and Robert were planning the foundations of Origin Systems Incorporated, unbeknownst to either, the first signs of this crisis were manifesting. Video game stores were literally flooded with products, and the market was getting saturated. In 1982 alone, five home consoles had been released. The Atari 5200, the Coleco Gemini, a 5200 clone, Emerson's Arcadia 2001, the ColecoVision, and the Vectrix. When the market was no longer able to absorb such large volumes of product, retailers encountered difficulty due to high amounts of unsold products and began asking for more lenient return policies. Some companies absorbed these costs and spiraled downwards into crisis, while others refused to accept returns. Consequently, retailers began cutting prices to empty their shelves. To make matters worse, Jack Tramiel had started a price war in order to crush his competition and conquer the microcomputer market. Holding an unrivaled product, the Commodore 64, he made repeated cuts in its price, which threw his old rival, Texas Instruments, out of the market, and also put many other manufacturers in serious trouble. Incidentally, Tramiel also left his first commercial success behind, the VIC-20, on the eve of Keith Zabalui's launch of Ultima Escape from Mount Drash. William Shatner, otherwise known as Star Trek's Commander Kirk, asked the audience in one of Commodore's most aggressive advertisements, Why buy just a video game from Atari or Intellivision? Invest in the wonder computer of the 1980s for under $300. As the price gap between the Commodore 64 and other consoles narrowed down, many consumers took Tramiel's bait and opted for the Commodore 64, that in addition to having quality games in unprecedented quantity, could also be used for other purposes. Toward the middle of 1983, the signs of the coming crisis were clear, and when the disappointing earnings of Atari were shared with investors, the industry bubble had finally burst. Atari's shares collapsed within a few months, and the company had to be restructured several times with painful cuts. After the crisis, Atari would never again regain the leading role and acclaim that it had once had. Coleco, Mattel, and Milton Bradley paid even higher prices and left the gaming market definitively, selling everything to cut their losses the era of American dominance over the console market came to an end. Commodore suffered a collapse of their shares as well. The price cuts had won the battle, but reduced profits weakened Tramiel's position as CEO. Even software companies such as Activision were faced with serious difficulties when a large part of their market evaporated, despite having earned a reputation for excellent, innovative, and well-programmed games. Even Ken Williams had fallen for the craze and listened to the advice of his investors. He had recruited a large group of programmers and started as many projects as possible, not all of which had the quality of those made by his wife. The overheated market of 1982 had dazzled him and had convinced him to invest in growth. 
cartridges were widespread in the early 1980s because it was more impervious to piracy than software distributed on magnetic tape or floppy disks. On the other hand, cartridges were a big investment, and unsold inventory was a big loss for any software house. Ken, always attentive to the problem of piracy that had driven him to adopt Spyrodisc for Sierra Online games, chose to produce software on cartridges, but he had to make very substantial orders. Sierra's troubles were exacerbated by wrong choices that were made, such as a bet on Texas Instruments' microcomputer, and this on the eve of the price war sparked by Tramiel. The Commodore 64 triumphed over the TI-99-4A, forcing Texas Instruments out of the market before financial losses overwhelmed it. And Ken Williams found himself with an inventory full of cartridges and audio cassettes for machines that were no longer on the market, or which were in crisis, such as the VIC-20. As sales began to slow down, Sierra Online had to lay off a good part of their staff, relying only on Roberta's games as their hope to survive the crisis. Salvation came in the form of a contract signed with IBM, which took shape in a new masterpiece by Roberta Williams, King's Quest for the PC Junior. Companies that focused primarily on microcomputers did a little better that year, such as Automated Systems, which repositioned themselves with a new name, Epix. In 1983, under the new leadership of Michael V. Katz, former vice president of marketing for Coleco Industries and future president of Sega of America, during the time they launched the Sega Genesis, Epix shifted its focus from role-playing and strategy games to action games, becoming one of the most popular companies in North America with games like Summer Games, Mission Impossible, California Games, and Barbarian, as well as a less famous game, but one that we'll hear about later, G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. Unaware of the risks, OSI was founded in March of 1983, at the dawn of the looming crash. Based mainly on his Ultima series, Richard needed time to grow and expand the business with more games. The target platforms were microcomputers, based on his team's capabilities, and these were a better fit for CRPGs than consoles were, since consoles commonly offered a variety of action games and arcade ports. At the dawn of 1983, there were very few titles on consoles related to the role-playing genre, with a few notable exceptions, such as Warren Robinette's Adventure for the Atari 2600, released in 1980, a hybrid of adventure, maze, and dungeon crawling. This platform choice, microcomputers, saved Richard from the worst consequences of 1983, but it still left a bad feeling that the craze around computer games was finally over. The North American industry had been decimated, and many retailers were strongly determined to avoid meddling in consoles and cartridges again. This was the environment that Richard had to survive with his new company after Ultima 3's success, knowing that for the near future, the fate of the company would be resting on his shoulders. To learn more, subscribe to Spam 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 Humbug on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Anchor.fm at anchor.fm slash podcast or at spam 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 humbug.com. To find out more about Through the Moongate, visit thera.it. That's T-H-E-I-R-A dot I-T. You can also find the book on Amazon. And of course, you can learn more about the book and its author at andreacantado.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-A-C-O-N-T-A-T-O dot com. A big thank you to author Andrea Cantato for not only undertaking the effort of writing through the Moongate, but also for agreeing to allow for it to be read to you in this and following Spam 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 Humbug episodes. Tune in in a couple weeks' time for the next chapter.
I'm going to make some games and I'll show them to you when I'm done. 